of this podcast, support us by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the link in the episode description to support us now. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Batter up, hear that call. The time has come for one and all to play ball. No, not gonna. Yeah, I don't. Join in. I don't. The song never. <laughs> I have a confession to make after this cold open. We'll get to that in just a second. Then put that on pause. I'm Nicole. And I'm Rolando. And this is Remakes, Reboots, and Revivals. An original podcast. About unoriginality. So that was the opening of a song from the film A League of Their Own. And if you didn't know the song, then this episode isn't going to be for you. Uh, if you grew up in the 90s or if you were just watching movies in the 90s, you didn't have to grow up. You most likely saw this movie and you, I feel like a minority of people would have only seen this movie like once. I feel like this is a very rewatchable movie. Oh. And which is already, I know what confession Rolando is going to say. <laughs> um, but I just. Well, I don't think, I don't think you know the exact confession. Okay. I am guessing you've never seen this movie before until Not recently. Not in its entirety. Okay. Not that's a thing. So I've always seen bits and pieces of it because it used to run on cable all the time. Mm. And I kid you not, the color palette of this movie always bored me, and I would always look for a reason to change. Is it too like what like pastelly? It's too pastelly, too kind of washed out. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because they're going for the old look. Yes, and it just always that just drove me. It just bored me, (laughs) which is probably why like when I was younger, I never got behind like black and white movies. You know. Well, there's there's not really a palette to black and white movies other than black it's and white. It's black and white, <laughs> and that's like just boring. That's not, that's not a palette per se, but I get what but you're I, saying. Shades of Grey is a palette, I would argue. Okay, so then you then would be in this minority where you didn't really watch it a lot growing up, even though you you kind of did in your own way, like bits and pieces of it, or I, you yeah, were familiar I'd seen bits enough. And, with I never that. saw it, like the full thing. Uh, and you know what the other thing is? It's just like it was a sports movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, baseball movies were the thing in the 90s. Every baseball movie I could think of came out in like the late 80s and, and 90s. Yeah, you had uh, Field of Dreams, Angels in the Outfield. When did The Natural Eight Men come out. out? The Natural was late 80s. Yep. Yeah. Bull Durham. Uh, this movie. Rookie of the Year. Rookie of the Year. A lot yeah. of them starring Kevin Costner, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. He really likes his baseball. Andy, did you grow up watching this movie? I've seen this movie. I love this movie. I've okay. seen it a couple of times. There we go. See? It's Tom Hanks and Madonna. Come on. And Rosie it's O'Donnell. And Rosie and O'Donnell. And Gina Davis. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Gina <laughs> Davis. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> this was like when Gina Davis was like a huge star and like I think she's so gorgeous and just so like nobody looks like her and she's tall and just beautiful. She's, I love Gina Davis. I actually do like Gina Davis with like the dark blonde hair. No, I'm yeah, so used to seeing good. her in like I'm used, I'm used to seeing her in like uh, dark hair, you know, like brunette black. Yeah. She, That's a classic Gina Davis, I know. I actually think she is very era appropriate for the 40s. Like some of them don't really look era appropriate. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe Rosie doesn't or Madonna's kind know. of a stretch, whoa, but like whoa. Gina does. 
You don't think there were hefty ladies back in the forties? I'm I'm talking more about facial structure. I don't they don't, that look. I don't you know. know that look. <laughs> like me. <laughs> I don't know how much facial structure has changed in, like, five decades, you know? Well, I guess, I don't know. I, this is just, like, my own thing. But, like, when I saw The Great Gatsby, right, I was like, I don't know if mm-hmm. I buy DiCaprio in the 40s. He doesn't look like someone from the 40s. Whereas Carrie Mulligan, who played Daisy, I was like, I buy her in the 40s. You know oh, what I mean? Like, that kind of, like, look. Yeah, all right. People I didn't back buy Carrie Mulligan, but... Yeah, we we talked about this in a past episode. Mm-hmm. We did, we did. Uh, I yeah. Think, yeah. But we're talking today about A League of Their Own. <laughs> right. Now, I have a question, right? I'm just going to get right into the topic here. Yeah. Um, is this movie just, like, a big film in, like, the lesbian community? Or is do you think it's, like, a general so. pop culture thing? So, I think it's a... I think it's both. 30 years ago, this year, it came out. And exactly 30... 30 years. 30 years, yeah. And there's actually been, like, a lot of like 30th anniversary celebrations, like on podcasts I listen to, they've covered it. I've seen them on like news outlets, like Gina Davis, like talking about the 30 year anniversary of it. So this is a pretty big pop culture movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess to commemorate it, Amazon Prime, you know, greenlit a, what do you think this qualifies as? A remake, a reboot? Um, It's like a soft remake. Soft remake, yeah. Reimagining. Yeah, and I think the reason I call it that yes, a reimagining I think it's fair because it didn't it's not a direct translation of the film, but they're taking elements of it and expanding upon it, right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that expanding upon it is is key for sure. First we'll talk about the original film and then we'll talk about uh this new one. So, 30 years ago, 1992 big movie year i think i know unforgiven came out and won best picture that year uh batman returns came out yeah that was the best picture winner the clint eastwood western unforgiven oh i didn't i've never heard of this movie oh really well you don't like westerns so i don't like westerns appropriate yeah um batman returns actually came out this year and this was the movie that a league of their own opened that weekend with that sucks yeah right well it opened (laughs) to be number two but okay. it continued to be a successful, like a commercial hit. Yes, yes, yes. Is uh, I think this is one of the director. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is her second film to cross that threshold of a hundred million, and that was a big deal for a female director. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, let's talk about Penny Marshall. I mean, Penny Marshall was a household name because of her role in uh, Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, she's the one that that became a director, right? Yeah, she's she's the one who directed this film. She directed, oh, directed uh, Big. And then uh, right before this, she actually wanted to immediately make this movie, but they, she had to do like one for them and then one for her kind of. So she did the movie Awakenings. Um, so that one sounds a little LGBTQ. Uh, it is so not it's nowhere not. near that. <laughs> the title is very what, misleading. Awakenings? Then. You haven't seen Awakenings? I've never even heard of Awakening. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's nowhere near <laughs> yeah. LGBTQ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, she didn't make many more films after. I think Jumping Jack Flash was her first big, uh, uh, the one I just talked about, Awakenings, League of Their Own. I know she did Riding in Cars with Boys with Drew Barrymore, if you remember that movie. Back I do in remember that movie. Yeah. yeah. I think that was her last film. Um, oh. So, no, that's kind of a bummer. But she's probably more well known to millennials, at least, as being uh, in Hocus Pocus, where when the, the three witches go into the house of Satan and like... Mm-hmm. And she's and she's the significant other of the guy who's dressed as Satan, which actually happens to be her brother Gary Marshall. That's creepy. Who oh, is Gary Marshall? Yeah. yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's directed Pretty he's... Woman and Runaway Bride and 
other movies. So wait, I thought he also did all those like Valentine's Day. He did. New yes. Year's. Oh, that is how those. he uh, ended his career with doing those kind of movies. The script was written by Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. Great names. Two men. Yeah. And they pretty much, you know, had found out about this All-American Girls Professional Baseball League that existed from about 1943 to 1952. And they were like, oh, well, this like would a, make a great film. This was a real thing? Yeah. This was... A, seriously? I I didn't know. Like, <laughs> well, I, I don't follow baseball, period, right? So, like, I'm not... Like, you're going to tell me that I need to... I don't even know men's baseball you expected me to know but, about women's but you baseball know it exists and you know and the good thing about this movie is that we all kind of know that it existed we might not know the details but mm-hmm. we know that women's baseball did exist because when the men went to war uh wrigley of wrigley gum decided you know let's let's make our women active and keep the game of baseball alive and blah 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 and actually wow, it ended so up being really- a really good idea it was a candy maker, no less, just like in the movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's yeah. so funny. They couldn't get Wrigley for the movie, so they made it a Harvey bar, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Very much just based sign on off. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe that's why you were like, oh, you're surprised that it's real because like there's no such thing as a Harvey bar. But it was, yeah. No, was I mean, thing. yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Like, they were so sexist back then. I just didn't expect them to let women play sports. Yes, well, that what is, is my something assumption? that gets explored. But it's interesting. As is explored in the movie. <laughs> I mean, look, 1943 to 1952, there were about 15 teams, and the movie really makes you feel like it was a national thing. This actually only was a very small part of the country that this existed within. That's why the teams are Rockford and Racine, because it only exists within the states of Illinois, Missouri, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and I think maybe Indiana, and that's it. So, like, Central America. Uh, I mean, belt? Middle America. I shouldn't say Central America. <laughs> yeah, that's like, isn't that, that? I'm pretty sure that's like the Rust Belt. Uh, okay. But yeah, so that was like pretty prominent, actually, that after the men came back from war, you know, this continued for a while until it kind of just fizzled out. And then everyone forgot it happened. And it really was like actually members of the league who really fought hard to like have their place in history earned. And then that's where they got the attention of these writers who then wrote the script and then pretty Marshall made the film. And mm. they consulted with a lot of people because this was, you know, late eighties. So a lot of these women were still around and were still like willing to tell their stories. So a lot of the movie is actually based on real people, but then they just kind of like took a lot of liberties. Like there were two sisters who were in uh, the sports, you know, there was a girl uh, who who was like uh, Marla was based on someone who was real, right? The whole mm-hmm. story of like a girl who was trained to be a baseball player her whole life but didn't know how to be a woman. Or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they yeah they took all of that and then they just had a lot of fun and came up with their own stories and they took the story yeah. of the two sisters as the core of the story with Dottie and Kit, and Dottie is played by Gina Davis and Kit is played by Laurie Petty, who. You know, never really kicked off as a movie star. And what a shame, because I just love her. <laughs> I mean, I don't love her character, but I love her as an actress. Yeah, her character was kind of insufferable. Oh, she was the worst. Kit is the I don't worst. Know I would say she's the worst. I understand. I understand her frustrations I, here. I think, she se- I think she sets herself up to be frustrated. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. If you were Gina Davis's sister, you just don't think that you'd just be constantly overlooked? Yes, I would have a huge... Napoleon complex or whatever it would be if my sister was Gina Davis but at the same time I wouldn't like go looking for excuses to make myself even more upset or even more insecure than I already am 
case in point, mm-hmm. when the one guy came over and was like, oh, daddy, we're doing this whole scoop on you in Life magazine. And then she interjects and goes, tell him anything about me. <laughs> it's like, what, why would you do that? You're just like, obviously going to set yourself up to hear something you don't want to hear. And also, it, this is about your sister right now. Be happy for her. Why does it have to be about you? So, um, Kim I don't is know. the worst. I mean, yeah. I like I said, I think she's insufferable, but I empathize with her a little. I I get it. Oh, I wow. understand. Like I understand her character's frustrations. Is this like your way of like feeling for Heidi? Yeah, I guess that's my way of like <laughs> empathizing with my sister right now. It's just like Heidi, if you're listening to this, I am sorry that I have constantly stolen the su- <laughs> the sunshine out of the room. But... <laughs> oh my gosh! You were the black hole of the family. Stealing all the lights yeah, just from everybody else. <laughs> I actually sympathize more with Kit. I feel like everyone loves my sister and like needs to come around to loving me. And even I'm like, Kit, you're the worst. Mm. So, okay. all right. So anyway, that's like our main story is there's relationship and the fact that Dottie is just a phenomenal catcher and a phenomenal ball player. Uh, she also forms a relationship with the alcoholic manager who does not want to be the manager of the Rockford Peaches. Jimmy Dugan, played by Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. where he utters the iconic line, there's no crying in baseball. Yeah, uh, what do you think about crying in baseball? It's pretty That's good. It just it. sounds like Woody to me. I mean, what do you think it about does. Tom Hanks? <laughs> in retrospect, it does sound like Woody. Yeah, right? Like, in 1982, it was probably like, oh, wow, Tom Hanks, he's great. He's funny. He could, whatever. 30 years later, it's like, oh, it's kind of played out. I'm kind of over Tom Hanks. Oh, you're going to get a lot of hate mail for that, I feel like. <laughs> I, I feel like Tom Hanks is like really killing his image with his choices. He's just making like too many movies that aren't doing anything for him. And it, he's just not doing that great in the media. I don't think Tom Hanks needs to do anything anymore, to be quite honest. I think Tom Hanks is just fine. It's America's yeah. beloved son. If he wants to do like movies about robots in a post-apocalyptic world, that's Tom and Hanks' prerogative. So are, a you, dog. are you excited then for Pinocchio next week? No, but I'm not. I don't, I'm also not mad at him for making his money. Just being like, "Bye, I'll take this paycheck. I don't care." It's like Judy yeah, I mean, Dench is another one, right? Like, I like yeah. I don't. Judy Dench doesn't have to prove anything to me anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, so another person I can like maybe you know uh, compare him to would be like Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, where it's like, oh yeah, you were once this great actor, and now you'll just you know kind of do anything. No, and a you'll different... become a caricature of yourself with. With Robert De Niro, he's still kind of trying to hold on to his glory days, though. There's a difference. You think so? Yeah. Like, come on. The the Irishman? Even trying well, to go as far as, like, trying to use CGI to make him look younger? No. That's that like a, that that's wasn't called, his choice. That's that was a cry Scorsese's. for help. He, he chose to act in it. He could have told Scorsese. It's just like, Scorsese... Maybe cast someone younger who can move like a young person. I think the real winner is Jack Nicholson because when he realized he became a character of himself, he retired and he stopped making movies, which is, you know, something that a lot of people should consider in their life is retirement. Anyway, uh, I just am at this point where I'm over Tom Hanks personally. I know a lot of people love him, but I'm over it. I mean, the world turned when he got COVID. Do you not remember this moment? That's when we took it seriously. That's when we took it seriously yeah. as like a nation. We kind of just like held our breath and we're just like, oh no. Yeah, this, the only reason I was real. watching any of that was because I wanted to get some sort of glimpse of the Elvis movie. So it was. Oh, that's right. Hanks. I yeah. liked him in the Elvis movie. I, I know. Was, you're like yeah. the only ones. Who- I thought he was great. I thought I actually, I thoroughly enjoyed him in the Elvis film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is great. This is like, 
I want to hear from the audience. You know, yeah. are you team yeah. Tom Hanks or are you team Tom retire, please? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want to hear from you guys because yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so let's let's move on. The thing about the peaches too is that because this is a movie about a baseball team, is that even though the, the core story here is these two sisters, there's a lot of other players that we get to know and we kind of get to build relationships with. Madonna is in this movie, and this is kind of when Madonna was really intent on being like a, a serious movie star i think um she had really? done dick tracy in 1990 you know uh-huh. this is a couple years away from evita madonna doesn't make movies anymore I th- she kind of gave it up after you know the flops of swept away and next best thing and all those stuff they, but like I mean, in the 90s were, they were problematic <laughs> yes <laughs> even back then they were problematic you know what I yeah mean? <laughs> and they just they weren't good for her but uh yeah i she had just just done truth or dare you know, she was in the Four Rooms film, the Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Alison Anders, and, oh, I forgot the fourth filmmaker, a uh, collection of short films. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she was, like, re- and she, Vogue, you know, like, all about, like, movie stars and stuff. She was really gung-ho about being a movie star, and then that just kind of fizzled. Yeah, she so, probably decided to just, like, eh, not too much me. work. I so just think that this is probably one of her best roles is because she just kind of gets to do the same thing over and over again, and... Yeah, and she's not the star. She like yeah, she's she, not the star. She yeah. doesn't have to carry the film, right? She also has a best friend with Doris Murphy, played by Rosie O'Donnell. Now, I think you and I have both read or maybe seen things of Rosie, and she's talked mm-hmm. about her role in this movie. Yes, you know Rosie O'Donnell is a member of the LGBT community, and I feel like even before she publicly came out, a lot of people kind of knew it, right? Like yeah, we knew without it being said. But according to Rosie O'Donnell. Penny Marshall was just not interested in telling an LGBTQ perspective uh-huh. from this film. Like, at yeah. all. She was like, uh-huh, whatever, just not my thing. Right, yeah. Uh, so during the Rosie O'Donnell monologue where she's talking about her husband, where mm-hmm. it's kind of coded that she is lesbian and yes. in this relationship for, you know, kind of like the, what is it? You know, to stay face, like, you know, like to yeah. be presentable in public. Uh she Rosie was ready to play that as a coming out seed, and Penny Marshall kept telling her she's on record to say this, and Penny and Rosie said it, but Penny Marshall kept saying it's just like Rosie, that's not what this is about. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know I mean? like despite the it, fact that Rosie it read it, it was, <laughs> like Rosie, I think Rosie read that right. It's just like yeah, that is this was a coming out seed without well, having to be yeah a coming out seed. She said that she played her character as if she was in love with All the Way May, who is mm-hmm. Madonna's character, you know, and that she, you know, was pretending to be straight, but she really was in love with her. Mm-hmm. And I've read that as like the female relationships in so many movies. <laughs> like growing up, that is just so nice to hear someone confirm that that's how they played it. I mean, because in older movies, you had to read real, into yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it makes sense, though. Like, do you think Madonna was in on it? I think she kind of was. No? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, this is also the period of her life where she was, like, biffles with Sandra Bernhard, mm-hmm. who's a pretty well-known lesbian and I think was experimenting in her sexuality. I mean, truth or dare, hugely mm-hmm. about that. Um, so I th- I think so. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just asking just because uh, I think they played their relationship as being, are they friends or are they maybe a little more? Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. I mean, to me, it works. 
It, oh, I, I would agree. It, it does work. Yes. Yeah. Without them actually coming out and saying it, it's enough for me. So, uh, uh, we also guys, have... if, if, real quick. And I know I just said that I had only seen bits and pieces of it. Obviously, I watched this film for the podcast in its entirety. So, <laughs> I just want to just clarify that in case everyone's wondering. It's like, how would he know? I watched the film. <laughs> he would know because he watched it. I re I as I did as I usually do in reverse order, right? Where I watched uh, the series first and then went back oh to wow the, okay yeah. interesting perspective then um all right so a couple of the characters that we got uh ann ramsey as helen haley uh who i think when they're doing like the montage she's like serving the tea to everybody and she's just like kind of like the chipper you know really nice gal of the bunch no, i don't remember uh, her oh well we got megan kavanaugh's marla hooch i'm sure you remember marla i do remember now marla I think I'm so glad she got married and was like happy. They they showed they made it a point to like show her like being happy because so much early in the film was her being like kind of miserable. Yeah. And I want to and it's not even like yeah. Well, it's not even miserable about like playing the sports. I think it's just like, you know, I think she realizes that like she's kind of like society has deemed her the ugly one and that's so fucked mm-hmm. up you it is I mean? so fucked up yeah i mean it's this is when it, it's so painfully like of a different era and, and the era that's not even too long ago because of how often they poke fun at the fact that she's quote unquote ugly and this is just like something that they used to do to women all the time I and mean, when i was younger i would argue they still do <laughs> they still do to an extent um but like it was running rampant back then uh when I was younger, Marla was like my favorite character. And I actually was always really sad when she got married and left because I loved her and I wanted her to stay. And I also didn't believe that that character who loved baseball, who spent her whole life would just give it up that easily. Oh, hang on. So I even rewatching this now, I don't think she necessarily loved baseball. As her father said, he's been pushing her to do this her whole life. Like, yeah. I think the she first out she get, him. I think the first out she took it. That's why it makes sense. I guess we didn't have enough scenes with this character, though, to really know what was going on with her. She was just the butt of a joke. So I always read it as young when I was younger that I was like, well, you know, she's just this really like sweet girl who I want to get to know more and who actually is really good at baseball. And then we she just leaves, you know, like I always wanted more of Marla. Um, And that's always been a major gripe of mine is the way that they treated her. Mm. Because she's not ugly, which is the craziest part. It's like, I get it by maybe the 1940 standard, because they also present the fact that like in the 40s, it was very important that, you know, women came off as non-threatening and as women, ladies, you know, who were well kept and who, you know, still crossed their legs and ate a certain way and spoke a certain way. Like this bizarre, at least by our standards in the 21st century of what it is to be a woman. Right. So she very much was not fitting into that bracket, but like that's the only way in which Marla could be even labeled as a freak, and that's how everyone treated her as a freak. And I just always felt so bad for her. No, just just the people. I don't think the the players themselves never treated her like a freak, though. Yeah, that's the nice thing about the movie is that the players themselves were always like nice. actually looked at each other as fellow a family human beings. <laughs> yeah, it was like I mean, uh-huh. if you think about it, this is, I mean. The show will expand upon it more, but this is more or less a found family story. It is. Absolutely. A couple of characters we got. Tracy Reiner is Betty Spaghetti. And Betty Spaghetti has actually, to me, one of the most impactful scenes in the movie where they're all in their locker room. 
mm-hmm. and a note gets delivered from the war that oh, one of their right. husbands died. The, um, the fake out. Yeah. And a very, I think, impactful scene, you know, because it's like, also, it's like, oh, right, a war's going on. And these are all women who <laughs> have husbands. All of them have husbands for the most part. I mean, at least all the ones we get to meet, they're all straight and interested in men. <laughs> well, you know, the, the writers and director wanted us to remind, just, you know, they wanted to remind us, these are yeah. straight women. These are straight heterosexual <laughs> women playing baseball. Just Don't get any ideas. Friends. Uh, and then we have Evelyn and her son Stillwell, baby Stillwell Angel. I think. I think that sounds right. He he makes he's important at the very very end of the film, but not even important. But yeah, uh, uh, his name isn't important. He was just a kid who was just like, yeah, I'm gonna lose, whatever. Yeah. Again, all these women, you know, they become a found family. They really are appreciative and loving of each other, except for Kit towards her sister. Um, they're not so nice to their guardian. Who another one who gets kind of treated, their chaperone, who gets treated really shittily and like also when he when Tom Hanks drunkenly kisses Sexually her and then freaks her. out. Yeah, essentially, yeah. And then turns to her and says, I loved you in the Wizard of Oz. Like it's so fucked up. It's not even funny. It's like why are you treating this woman that. this way? Why why did he say that about the Wizard of Oz? Because she looks him? like a witch. She she looks like a wicked oh, witch. Oh, okay. Now I get it. I didn't get it. Yeah, like no, that's not Margaret Hamilton. He's just saying she looks like the Wicked Witch in the West. I see. Um, I mean, no one likes a chaperone, right? Like, I just again, I get it. Why we're picking on the poor lady? I guess. I mean, she was a little uptight and stuff, but they punished. They they poisoned her. They fucking Jimmy Dugan sexually assaulted her, like insulted her to her face. This poor woman, (laughs) just for doing her job. Uh, That's the thing. Yeah, you're right. It is her job. Like. She was just following society's norms and stuff. Yeah. But she, as the enforcer, though, like, we're going to take out our frustrations on society on her. So that makes sense. But yeah. So a couple of things that this movie doesn't tackle. Obviously, uh, everyone's heterosexual, like we just said. So there's barely a hint of if you got to read into Rosie O'Donnell being in love with All the Way May, and that's about it. And, you know, there's no diversity. There's one scene in the tryouts where they're all trying out and a ball goes all the way out to, you know, just all the way out in the field, whatever mm-hmm. that's called. Obviously, we don't Home know run. baseball. Yeah, it's, <laughs> sure. It's, well, this is during the outfield. tryouts. The outfield. Thank you. Outfield. Thank you, Eddie. Oh. <laughs> um, and there's a black woman on the side and she picks up the ball and she throws it to them and they, they're like, whoa, that was an incredible throw. Right. Wait, pause. Okay. So you remember how I said I saw the movie Bits and Pieces? And mm-hmm. when I re- was watching the show, one of the questions I asked, like, is I asked Eddie, he's just like, is this a brand new character? Because I don't remember there being any person of color in the original one. And no. then I see this scene, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I guess this character existed in the movie all along. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, I guess not. Because we don't see her. Well, she existed. <laughs> but then, like, she, this is the only sequence in which she exists. And then that's it. It's like, this is them, you know, being socially conscious, I assume. I where- don't I, 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 I don't know in 90 standards yeah that seems <laughs> other than like just acknowledging the existence of black people in the and 1940s that, yeah and like you, I, you can read into that or maybe it's the new show that you know helped us read into that but it's like oh wow this woman who is an amazing pitcher or amazing thrower you know doesn't even have the opportunity to play because it's whites only right it's the mm-hmm. 40s that was the reality of this country um you can read into that, but it's so quick. And it's just like such an interesting, you know, like thing too, because it's like, are they trying to make a statement with that? Like <laughs> that scene is just so interesting and they don't really expand upon it. 
Um, but of course they expand upon it in the new show and which we'll get to in a, in a little bit. So overall, did you enjoy this movie? Yeah, the movie's fine. Um, it's a sports movie and I'm not like a big sports movie lover. I think we talked about my disdain for sports movies when we covered the mighty ducks, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know? So yeah. Disdain. Such a strong, strong and maybe word. disdain is too strong. I just don't, yeah. If a sports movie is going to come up, I'm probably not going to watch it. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about football movies in particular, because I just don't get football. Oh, except for Remember the Titans. Yeah, I think I saw that once. But, you know, again, it really wasn't for me. So so many times on Disney Channel. I love that movie. Now, I've read or I heard in an interview that Penny Marshall said that the Hollywood executives didn't actually want them to end it the way that they did, which is showing all the women now and them, you know, getting together and and celebrating. Mm-hmm. And she had to really kind of fight for that, which I think was actually really great and made it more emotional. Uh, I mean, I'm more emotional. I think I'm a more sentimental type of person, and I can be easily susceptible to cry and whatnot. So I always get emotional when watching it. But did you think it was sweet? Did you think it worked, like seeing all the real women? It was uh, a little saccharine, in my opinion. Very saccharine, yes. Uh, I don't don't like movies where the framing device is like a memory, right? Because we start off with like Gina Davis all grown up now, right? I forgot her. Yes. Yeah. You know that that's not Gina Davis, right? I know, I know. (laughs) But Gina Davis dubs her voice, which is very interesting. It's it's like a weird like. Oh, did she? I didn't even notice that. she dubbed the voice. That's so funny. Um. So, yeah, we start off in the present. She's going to go to, like, the a ceremony that's going to honor these women in baseball, mm-hmm. right? I think they were going to get inducted to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And then the rest of the movie is basically just a long flashback. And then we're back to the ceremony and all the women get together and they're like, oh, oh my yeah. God, hi, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then it's just And like, then Kit and Daddy look at each other like they haven't seen each other in years. It's very interesting. Like, I wonder what became of their relationship. Like, did they stop talking or something? Were they estranged? So many questions. There were a lot of questions there. And as well, when you were talking about the ending, I thought you meant the ending, ending of making the peaches lose. Oh, no. Well, so apparently it's it's a thing that people are like, did she purposely drop the ball or did she not drop the ball when, you know, Kit came to the mm. base? Because Dottie's such a good catcher. We've seen, you know, her exercise her body in ways just to catch the damn ball. So a lot of people don't believe that she would drop it. She apparently, let her sister win? She let, yeah, people think she let her sister win. Apparently, Gina Davis knows the answer to this and doesn't want to tell us for some reason, which is so stupid. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be this giant secret gina davis just fucking sometimes, tell us no, sometimes mystery sometimes it's fun to have a little bit of mystery i guess so do you think she dropped the ball on purpose i or? thought she did i think she did too because she yeah, loved kit I, I thought she did uh yeah yeah despite so it's, the fact that at that point kit was kind of just raging. so terrible so terrible being the worst and then it's like she pretty much gives up baseball for you and her husband and stuff she never really cared about it but so she gives up baseball for you drops the ball for your team to win and you don't talk to her for like 40 years what is your problem yeah now in retrospect i think you're right like she she's pretty terrible (laughs) yeah not a good character but it but those older actresses really do like only kit and Dottie look like the actresses everybody else i'm like there's no way that's madonna there's no way that's rosie oh i don't know i saw may 
I guess. Okay. I didn't see Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, the Rosie May, O'Donnell. Yeah, was not <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell was a stretch, but May I saw. Yeah, because mm-hmm. older Rosie O'Donnell looked straight. um but the ending i'm talking about is actually like you know talking you know letting people know that this was a real thing it like legitimizes it and it lets people know like hey which is why i'm so interested intrigued that you didn't know that this was a real thing because of the way the movie ends where it's like no this was real look at all these women getting together and seeing that this part of history was inducted into the baseball hall of fame Mm -hmm. it validates its place in history almost right and it sucks that we have to do that through movies but we do. And that's why movies are so powerful. Did they get into the baseball hall of fame? I think they have like a little section, but there are fights actually for them to get their own museum. Oh, I mean, it was only like nine years that they 12 played. Years. Like, 12 years. 12 years. I would visit that, that uh, museum. Would you? There, I, I would. There are other women in baseball that I want to be more educated on. You know, I like don't doing know. The I, research. I don't think you see myself going to like the actual baseball hall of fame. So well, yeah, like... but you don't like sports, so you know that's that's. I also why. barely like history, to be quite honest. So really, <laughs> like I talked about the eighties, like in the barbaric times. You know this I mean? is, I mean, this is true. I I have to pull an arm and a leg with you to get you to watch a black and white movie from the sixties. So yeah, see. All right. Well, so <laughs> it was all right. It was good. Uh, I'm glad you finally watched it, but you watched it after you watched the new A League of Their Own, which I'm really fascinated to know how that worked yeah. for you because I can't well, actually, you know, fathom that. So are you aware of Clark's me- uh, theory of stages of minorities in mass media? No. Tell it's me. Like a, so it's a, it's a it, uh, what's his name? Cedric C. Clark, he wrote an essay and he kind of broke down the four stages of representation in media for minorities, right? Uh, the four stages are non-recognition as stage one, right? Where we don't acknowledge the existence of characters. I would argue for A League of Their Own from 1992, lesbians just do not exist in the world of of, of this film, all right? Mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. there is stage number two, ridicule. Right where they are the butt of the jokes. Um, stage three is regulation, where I would argue the black character that we see in A League of Their Own is that right, in which regulation means like they are shown in the most only acceptable manner, which is just like seen, not heard. Uh, look, she could throw a cool fastball, but that's it. We won't. We don't need to touch that anymore. And then the final stage is respect. Mm. Uh, and I think 30 years later, right? 30 years later, here we are, where I think we finally hit that threshold for this franchise where we hit respect uh, for minorities here. And the minorities being black and uh, queer. LGBTQ. Yeah, que- queer. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Now, and before actually we go to Latinos. The- and Latinos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just like black. It was like, yeah. But the, the oh, what's it called? But we do have important African-American representation here in this in this show for sure uh yeah there was a spinoff though of the film that aired for like five episodes right yeah the 1993 sitcom which a couple of the characters uh repeat i think betty spaghetti marla's in it Mm -hmm. uh gary marshall returns as the harvey bar guy and john lovitz who was a scout in the first one is also in this new one so who was kind of my least favorite character to me I know. It's like, why did he get such a high billing when he's like <laughs> in 10 minutes of the movie? 
but John Lovitz was big back then. You can watch these episodes on YouTube, by the way. It's can actually you? really interesting. Yeah, because right. seeing these women who, you know, did these roles and then seeing them, like, minimize them for sitcom like gags, like Marla's going, like half the time. I made a facial expression. Um, it's this, it's just yeah. not good and funny enough tom hanks directed one of the episodes did he really <laughs> he wow did. penny marshall directed the first tom hanks directed i think the third uh and the the screenwriters wrote the the sh- like the first two episodes i think mm-hmm. so yeah look at that all right well Everybody let's add a it. we'll add a link to the episodes for sure yeah. if they're on youtube why not yeah. check them Maybe. out guys. but yeah so 30 years later Amazon Prime has greenlit a p- new reboot, reimagining, remake sort of thing of A League of Their Own. Mm-hmm. Um, it is created by Will Graham and Abby Jacobson from Broad City fame. Who is also starring in the show. Who is also starring in the show um, as Carson Shaw. Now, this is not like the next generation of Peaches. This pretty much is just like taking... The, it, it, the it's, plot. It's yeah, pretty much the original uh, League of Their Own. How it's like these are the women that were recruited to play, and this is the life that they had. It's the same exact thing for this new show, but it's a bunch of new girls for the Rockford Peaches, which is interesting because I'm like they didn't even go with a different team. You know, maybe Dottie and Kit could have been on another team, and they could have been the Racine Bells. No, this is just this is yeah, the new no, this Rockford is, Peaches. There's just a brand new team. Rock. Uh, we do have our crotchety former baseball player. Played yes. by uh, uh, Nick Offerman from uh, Parks and Rec. Who, what a joy! When I saw, I, I didn't know he was in the show. I was just like, "Oh my god, he's in it!" Oh, yeah. this is the role he's playing. I was a little <laughs> because I'm so used to seeing him. Uh, well, well, we'll talk about that because we I'm won't. not complaining about his. I'm not complaining about his acting or the role. It's just not <sighs> the character that I'm used to seeing. Okay. On him. Um. Yeah. Well, he doesn't stick around for that long. So. So yeah. So it's about the formation of the Rockford Peaches in the All American Girls Professional Baseball League, and the main character is Carson Shaw, who is played by Abby Jacobson, and she. I mean, everyone thinks she's a farmer. I even was about to say she's a farmer, but um, <laughs> she's not. She's just a girl who came from a really small town who decided who was not going to do it, and at the last minute realized that she had to do it and leave behind the life that she wasn't that happy with. And um, leave behind like this isn't this wasn't like a whitewashing type of thing. Like it's just like like in the original film, the woman who's leaving the life behind, she's not leaving it behind. She's putting it on pause until her husband returns. This one, Carson Shaw, is very much making a decision. I am leaving my husband. Literally on the way to her hotel, she meets two other women. She meets the Darcy Carden character, Greta. A very glamorous woman, and her friend Joe, I think, Joe mm-hmm. Joe DeLuca, uh, her best friend, yeah, played by Melanie Field, who actually was in the MTV mm-hmm. version of Heather's. Well, so she's, I mean, I think she's around my age. She's a very young actress, and she gets to play uh, Joe, best friend of Greta Darcy Carden, who we know from being Janet in The Good Place. If you've yep. ever watched that show. And then when they get there, they meet a whole new group of girls. And all of these girls are more diverse in a lot of ways than the ones that we met in the original film. Like, Rolando can't remember half of them because they all kind of looked alike. <laughs> they're uh, all just a bunch of skinny, you know, white women. Oh, um, well, not, they're not white. There's some there's some Latinas. I'm talking about the film. Oh, oh, you're talking about the film. Okay, about the yeah. <laughs> uh, but I feel like it's more, it's easier to, you know, decipher who's who in the show because oh, yeah. they're... 
you know, they're more diverse. So uh, we have um, Lupe. Lupe, the pitcher. The pitcher. I was gonna. She's not Spanish though. She's yeah. From she's Mexico. she's a Mexican. from Mexico. <laughs> uh, played by Roberta Colindres. Uh, we also have Jess, who's Canadian. She only likes to wear pants. Right. Yes. yes. Which, by the way, Catherine Hepburn at this time had been radicalized for wearing pants. Uh, so like, but was making it more of like a you know statement that women could wear pants. So it was still really new for women in this time uh, mm-hmm. period. So uh, and these two women are also clearly members of the LGBTQ community. These uh, two? Lupe and Jess. I'm just saying these two are clearly. Oh, A couple okay. of other ones might not be so clear. Maybe Joe, too. Joe? Uh, Joe. They weren't even subtle with it. When she's talking to the blonde girl, and she's like, what kind of, what are you into? She's like, blondes. blondes. Yeah. <laughs> and she's looking at her. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, we have Shirley who is Carson Shaw's roommate and a very anxious, uh, nervous. Uh, what else can we say about Shirley? Uh, sheltered, like neurotic, sheltered, neurotic, neurotic. Neurotic. Yeah. Neurotic, yeah. I thought yeah. I, fun, funny. Like what a, to be the butt of the joke. Now is that borderline racist? If like the joke there is that she's, she's Jewish, right? Are we making fun of her, of her for being Jewish though? Or are we just making fun of the character? I think so I I'm going to use the word again sheltered because I do think that like she's the comedy was the fact that she like was a very sheltered you know girl and I think that maybe I don't know they're trying to like come from like oh look at this sheltered Jewish girl kind of a comedy yeah so it wasn't like oh look at how Jewish she is it's like no look at how sheltered she is yeah they're not playing off the fact that she is Jewish they're playing off the fact that okay you're right uh one of my favorite scenes though is where she played the where she was supposed to be the chaperone and she was complaining about being left alone with the guy for like eleven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, um, this actress, I know her from very small roles where she drops the F word. Uh she plays like a high level like attorney on the other two. And she uh I think she's like a PR agent, right? And she just drops the F word with such conviction, but like I give her the pass because her character is so entertaining in those few scenes she's in. That's the only thing I know her from the other two, but I I dug this character. I was I I I, I She I was, was funny. Yeah. Yeah. She was great comic relief. She was for being yeah. the straight woman, she was excellent comic <laughs> relief. And it was also like, okay, yeah. When you say the straight woman, uh, one of the only also, straight right? people. Yeah. <laughs> but also like uh, I'm surprised she even has a sexual orientation because she's just so young and so sheltered and just <laughs> does not know anything about that type of life. Uh, we also have Maybell, who I think is the blonde. Yeah, that sounds like a blonde name. For yeah, me, it does sound like a blonde name. Yeah. And then we have Esty, who is a Cuban player who speaks practically no English, and mm-hmm. is, but is also allowed to be on the team. Now, the first episode is them all meeting and trying out on the big field, just like in the beginning of League of Their Own. They, it's All the beats are pretty much the same as the movie, but they expand upon things more. We see that moment that happened in the original film where, you know, there's a, a black person who's on the field and who takes the ball and throws it to him. And they're like, wow, what a great mm-hmm. arm. And they take that character, essentially, or the idea for that character, and they expand upon it. And they came up with a character named Max. Maxine, right. but her she goes by Max. And she's incredibly passionate about baseball and she just wants to be given a shot and they won't even like humor her for being on the field because of the color of her skin yeah, and she has so, a, yeah 
And she's I mean, played by Shantae Adams, who, who I, I've never seen before, but does a great job. Oh, yeah, no, she's so captivating on screen. I think she gave such yeah. a very, very heart performance. Uh, yeah. Her and her best friend, I think, uh, were... Her best friend is my favorite character. They were easily their scenes together. Actually, literally, anytime we were in their storyline, I was just enthralled by their, yeah. their yeah. storylines. You know what I mean? Yeah, her best friend is Clance, who is played by Bemisola Ukamelo, and she's a huge British comedian. And so this this is her kind of like, you know, being introduced to, I think, American audiences, which is also amazing. Like, you're like, wow, she how do British people do American accents so well, except for Harry Styles? And she did do like a Southern accent, uh, a Southern period accent, no less. Yeah, I know. Like, incredibly well done. And just I just just such wonderful vibes radiating off of her and that character and, and oh yeah so no. sweet i mean I definitely my favorite jenny there were times during while watching the show where i was just like i kind of just wish the show was about them to be quite honest. yeah <laughs> like, I, I, you know? more so clans because there were times that were max kind of got on my nerves because she was being a bit extra uh, well you know if if you can't tell i don't like it when characters are being a little extra <laughs> um, but the thing with max though is so max is not only a woman she's a black woman in the 1940s which is geez like talk about a a, a reminder yeah because the show just does uh the show actually did a pretty good job of reminding me of just like how shitty the times were as opposed to the film where the film is kind of just like all i don't know happy scenes and like you wouldn't you forget the film makes you forget that racism was a thing absolutely yeah and except this, for that one scene with the woman throwing the pitch that's it right but even then, like, there were no signs of the racism and the hostility that nope. minorities felt back then. You know, this show puts it front and center. And I thought, kind of smart. Yeah, well, it's really checking the privilege of the people who got mm-hmm. to play. You know, like, hey, there were all these women who got to play and that was groundbreaking. But they also completely neglected to let in all these other women. And those stories need to be told. You know, what about like someone who desperately wanted to be seen and to be given a chance and who just was denied simply based on the color of their skin, right? That is a story worth exploring. And I'm really, really happy that they did that. Now, of course, sometimes it became too too fantasy for me. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a... But it's a TV show and whatever, but like... Because they did a really good job of I think actually portraying things through an accurate historical lens. Um, Mm. They consulted with a lot of women. Actually, when they were promoting this, they had a woman named Maybelle Blair, who was 95 years old, promoting with them. And because they went and they actually talked to her. Maybelle Blair was a player in the All-American Girls Baseball League. And they consulted with her. And at 95 years old, while talking with these people and doing promotions for this film, she came out officially as a lesbian. Wow. Oh, isn't sweet. that great? Yeah. And and she did, I think she even did it like during one of the interviews, like public interviews for this. Right. Uh-huh. So now she privately when, you know, Abby Jacobson and, and the team went and spoke with her and asked, you know, like, tell us some stories and stuff. She did privately tell them, you know, and, and has the courage now and in, in our lance in our political and cultural landscape to actually publicly say who she really is right and it's because of talking to people like this that we got to see what life was like so like things that happen in the show were like secondhand stories told from maybell like they go to a bar they go to a gay bar and she told them what it was like to go to a gay bar Mm. in the 40s you know and that's where rosie o'donnell comes in yeah so Um, which is funny so i'm glad that they actually had someone (laughs) 
from the time to like talk to him about this because I was going to say it's just like um I don't know how these ladies would feel if the show is just painting them all just lesbians. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like this show would have you believe that like ninety five percent of them were. I know, right? The the almost like the stereotype of like women who play sports are all gay, right? Exactly. Um, but there are straight have... women. We just don't we don't spend right. time with them on the show, right? <laughs> Even though, do we think Esty is gay or is Esty straight? Esty, oh, uh, she might be straight. Uh, technically, uh, I would argue that I don't know. Do you think uh, Greta? Do you think Greta is a lesbian or I thought she was bi? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if she was bisexual. I mean, she certainly doesn't seem to mind being with men. Because Eddie and I um, had a disagreement on this. Okay, what was the disagreement? Well, Eddie thinks she's hiding her lesbianism with the facade of being with men. Eddie? So I, I, I get, like, in passing, she mentions little things about, like, her mom. And, like, uh, so I get that this this is a person who knew very early on in her life that she had to survive. Uh, she had to be an adult very early. And she had to use what she needed to use to navigate a man's world, which is her looks, her charm, uh, her ability to smile at a difficult situation and to brush things off. So I think one of those things, too, is like also like if she uh, I feel like she's a a lesbian, bisexual, I mean, um, but has learned to navigate like, okay, I can I can I can charm men. But I can also be this too. Yeah, I think I th- she has learned that she can decide. I can be anything I want, but I also know I need to work within the parameters of this society that Absolutely. that uh, may be hurtful that I experienced. She looks like she's a person that has experienced hurt, but yeah. has like made herself. Yeah, in one episode, she says a line, something along the lines where it's like, "When I go out, I always make sure that I'm being seen on a man's arm." or something mm. like she knows that she has to keep up appearances mm-hmm. um which i think carson even asked her like that night you kissed me and you went off with that guy she's like yeah i have to like make sure people see me do that you know right like and and she's definitely i would agree with eddie too out of everyone she also seems the most afraid of who she is or at least the afraid of what society will do to her if she's exposed for who mm-hmm. she is interesting um, I, uh yes i would agree with you on that yeah yeah like she puts um, on like this tough persona, but yeah, it's just that it's like a facade. But I, I think she's tough also. No, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think given, um, given the opportunity and not having to worry about being kicked off the team, she would have gone up to that guy and punched him in the face. Yeah, mm-hmm. the guy that was mocking yeah. her, you know, like, oh, yeah. and then mocking yeah. her friend Joe, which even made her even more infuriating. Yeah, I mean, what did you think about Carson and Greta's relationship? I mean, I saw it coming down a mile away. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, yeah. yeah. Like, it wasn't, uh, you know, they they jumped right into it. I think first episode, we have them kind of hooking up. And uh, yeah. I realized, it's just like, oh, this, they're not, they're not sugarcoating this. This is going to be a very lesbian show. Like, they're not, this is <laughs> yeah, not going to be like, Yeah, like, which, good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, like, for sure. Because, like, prior to this, the last thing I had heard was that interview with Rosie where they were telling her, just like, this isn't a lesbian coming out scene. It was just like, this show is quite the opposite. This show is like, yes, it is. Yeah, we're gay. Yeah. 
Um, deal with it. And I, I, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah. I wished I thought they had more chemistry. I, I don't know. I, I, I think they're friends in real life or something. So there's, there's like somewhat of an awkwardness to it. Maybe. Um, but I didn't completely buy it. But I mean, again, I, I'm just here for the fact that this show has multiple lesbians and there's not you, a lot of tragedies going on. There are you, some tragedies, but yeah. But you wouldn't make out with with uh, Greta Darcy. I mean, Darcy was just so um, maybe. smoldering. I feel like maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I actually and I actually I actually enjoyed Abby's performance as Yeah, no, I uh, think she did good as Carson. Yeah, uh I mean I have some I have some critiques of this show, but I'll get into that in a little bit. Um because I want to talk about some things that I don't think you guys know happened in the show. Yeah, yeah, no. So like uh Eddie and I only got to watch like half the series, so by all means spoil away. Yeah, so, well, one, Rosie O'Donnell does make an appearance, I think, around episode five or six, and she's the owner of a gay bar. Which we um, missed. I you can't missed. Believe. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, like, because Abby becomes, like, the coach after the Nick Offerman character pretty much abandons the team. So, so he like, abandons the team for the C- series? Yeah. He's only he doesn't like, come back. Yep. Wow. He's only in, like, two or three episodes. Okay. She takes over as the coach, and then there's definitely, like, this uh rivalry between her and lupe who's like threatened by her and it loves you know the coach the yeah. old coach right 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 so one day she like follows her because she's like she's giving away her information and she's like betraying the team and she follows her to a gay bar and oh. it's like secret you know like you have to say things or you know need to know the password and it's and through a door and all this stuff and rosie's there and rosie actually plays a, a trans man in it oh really and, yeah wow. And, you know, and so, like, all of these people and you see all, like, soldiers together and you see, you know, women and, and trans people, you know, and, like, how people actually existed in that day. Um, but then, of course, it gets raided at the end of the episode. Of and course. Joe gets sure. actually uh, detained by the police and injured by the police. And in order for them to avoid a scandal, they have to trade her. And by the tr- trading her to the Racine Bells or I forget which, I think, like... um like Portland or some team Greta freaks the fuck out and wants to abandon the team you know okay because that's what Greta does is when things get hard they run right so that's a big story there that happens yes but in Maxine's uh case another big story happens where you know we find out that Maxine is secretly gay and she doesn't even like Clance doesn't even know this right it's like very much a secret from her family and from everyone like she's also trying to like make a relationship with this guy happen but she's she's like in a competition with him because he's on the baseball team in the Negro League and she's dating, or she was, the deacon's wife. Yeah, she's fooling around with the minister's wife or deacon's wife. And I was um, just like, scandal, that's... Again, yeah. this and is she's just, show I she's, would watch. <laughs> yeah, right? And having so many conflict with everyone, so much conflict with everyone in her life, especially her mother, who she feels like just doesn't understand her and her passion for baseball. And there's a character that's mentioned called Birdie, which actually was her aunt. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Birdie, you know, you Birdie left this house because of you and you didn't understand Birdie. So Max, in search of like someone that she can relate to, goes in search of Birdie. And when she finds Birdie, she sees that Birdie is actually living life as man now. And Birdie is a trans man. And Birdie has a lover uh, that he lives with. And mm-hmm. he lives a very happy life in this new identity, but being perfectly OK with who he is as a trans man. 
Hmm. So a kind of all the things that I have read in the reviews of this show is that they're like, oh, they're just throwing the trans agenda in there. Or like, oh, trans people didn't exist or whatever. Like, this well, is I mean, unrealistic. I'm sure they existed back then. <laughs> How they, much we know about them <laughs> is a different story. They 100% existed. Um, and I actually will tell you a story about someone who lived in this era who was a trans man. There was a jazz musician who fronted the Billy Tipton trio. And Billy Tipton lived his entire life with his four, his like many wives, even though he was never legally married, and children. And it wasn't until he died that their family found out that their father was indeed uh, anatomically a woman. Wow. And there's actually a documentary, I think, called No Ordinary Man. You could look this person up, Billy Tipton. And uh, we don't know whether or not Billy Tipton obviously, like, we don't, the terminology wasn't there, right? Did right. this person hide because they knew that the opportunities that were awarded to jazz musicians would only be awarded to men? You know, so mm-hmm. did they live this life doing this or did they identify this way, right? But there are many people, this is just one example that, you know, we, we're, we're finding out that people like this did exist, you know, and, and Christine Jurgensen from the 50s, you know, the first ever person who had a, 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 a sex change, right? These people did exist. So the fact that the show is actually showing this is not that far off from the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's actually pretty great. Now, the one thing that I question is whether or not she would, um, Bert would have a lover who accepted them for who they were. I mean, because it probably would have been hard to find, but... It would have been like, really hard to find. Because the thing about Billy Tipton, at least, just the one example I can draw a comparison to is that nobody knew the truth. Like, people mm-hmm. had, like, uh, kind of things, but nobody said anything. Like, it was very all left unsaid. Um, so I'm just like, wow, what an open-minded person in the 1940s. No, you know, you but know, hey, I mean, I'm sure some of them existed. It's I'm just, sure. You know, and I think that's also where fiction comes in, and it's okay yeah. to, to, to paint these fictional stories because at the same time we i think us specifically and i mean us as like the queer community we need to sometimes hope it's just like oh man even back then see there's hope yeah still for no us. for sure and like just seeing like giving you know the platform or, or the place that these people did exist you know like and also like giving them good lives <laughs> and right the, the fact that they were happy and were content and were able to live with us and like it was fine you know like people who are afraid of trans people too like there's no reason for it truly there really no, is yeah none, so for sure um, I, I can't believe so once again what like people all offended because we have some trans representation i think they just a lot of people looked at this and was like man this really has a gay you know or a queer agenda and it's i mean like, yeah it, well the first yeah episode said so and that's okay if this isn't your show stop complaining about it though like but it's also like, okay, hey, get, some people are gay. There are trans people in the world. Like, we can't ignore it. It's not going to go away. Like, shut the fuck up. Now, you're watching a show about women playing sports. You don't think you're going to see lesbians? <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a gripe with this show. And it's none of that shit. I mean, I'm actually, these are the things I liked about the show. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the way that the show was written in terms of its dialogue because I think that they did no research as to how people actually spoke in the 40s and that they sounded way too much like they came from the 21st century i actually wrote like when i watched the show i wrote down things that they said i was like there's no way that people said this in the 40s 
Uh, and that is my major gripe. I watch a lot of old movies. Yeah. I've seen a lot of black and white movies. But I also know that other people watch these movies too. And other people have somewhat of a knowledge of how people spoke back then. It is not people. hard to remove vernacular from, you know, a today time. Like, just r- remove things that people say today. And maybe just watch a movie and pick up some of the words that they used back then to make it more authentic. Because it takes me out of the story every time they say it. Now, here are some things that I wrote down. Yeah, I want to okay. hear. One, who does that? People did not say that back then. That is very now. Like, who does that? In that way, too. What right? would they say back then? Oh, like, uh, what would be a similarity? Yeah. I mean, maybe you don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, there might not even be, like, a similarity. They, they just might say, like, I can't believe they did that. Okay. Instead of just, who does that? Sure. Uh, somebody said, that would be so gravy. They did not say that in the 40s, saying that would be wonderful. They would not say gravy in the 40s. I don't think they say that nowadays. (laughs) I know. Gravy is not even something. Uh, How in the hell? How -hmm. in the hell did that happen? People did not say that back then. I mean, maybe they did, but at least they weren't allowed to say it in uh, a polite society. Um, If we're going to win this game, let it be fucking epic. People did not use epic... (laughs) in that way back then uh, I, thought you were, I thought you were gonna call out the fucking the fucking t- i mean people curse but they probably it's it's more so the epic part uh you got this you got this they did not that's a very new kind of slang word uh-huh. and then i put anything abby jacobson says because she's just not believable as somebody from the 40s no yeah um, that i would agree with you on that for sure she <laughs> i thought she was fine in the role but like it was it didn't yeah. feel very period so this does not feel like well, hang on. But how do you feel about Incredible Mrs. Maisel? The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Tomato, um, tomato. I never watched that and was like, wow, this dialogue is so unbelievable. Because a lot of dialogue is kind of unbelievable on that show. Not um, necessarily for the period, but like I think the way they speak is not how they would have been speaking in the 1950s. The speech patterns. Interesting. It uh, sounds... It, you're literally listening to the Gilmore Girls talking in the 1950s on that show yeah uh i haven't watched the marvelous mrs Maisel in a while so i should get back to that and i will get back to you on that as well okay Um, i was just asking just because it's an amazon show so maybe this is like their thing well i'll say this when the scenes were with max and clance i didn't have the issue it was really when it was carson and and some of the other white girls that it became the issue especially Mm -hmm. like greta and joe like those three were just like using terminologies and words that were just not believable i was like stop it stop trying to be like i don't know were they trying to relate so much to people nowadays and make like the 40s more accessible or something or they they just didn't fucking care and it just sucks i mean the 40s are like if you think about it the 40s are like almost 100 years ago Mm -hmm. right yeah so like but you know i don't know like uh, like do, do they speak like that in bridgerton no i don't think so i don't know just, if if you're just gonna put all like you know soundtrack is one thing you can play whatever the fuck you want it's fine it's just music it's 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 a film but if you're gonna i think language is as important as costumes right if you're gonna make a period piece and maybe the music or whatever like the things that should be the same are maybe the costumes and maybe the language because that's the that's what makes me really feel immersed in that time period right like romeo and juliet sacrificed the costumes for the language 
they kept the language, but they made everything more up to date, right? They kind of like that's why it was so like radical or whatever. The the Baz Luhrmann one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so but those are the, isn't that the fun of media? Like we can do whatever we want. Yeah, and like Marie Antoinette is kind of like that. But that's like, what I was gonna say. Yeah, isn't like one of your favorite movies Marie Antoinette like that? I, I do really like Marie Antoinette, but again, her language was very. If her the only thing she really changed was the music. I mean, the oh. language wasn't that different other than the fact that they spoke English. Um, but they weren't That's like it. crazy speaking like 20th century or whatever. Now and I'm, the costumes they shot at Versailles, you know, like I'm gonna make now I'm gonna now I'm like tempted to make a movie that takes place in the like the 19, 1890s and they just yeah, say like the, oh the, my the god speaking, the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I feel like the show uh another period is similar in that vein, right? Where it's a comedy. It's a I've comedy. Never seen it. Okay, so it's a sitcom from uh the from Comedy Central where it takes place in I want to say I don't know, it's in the past, right? When they're still wearing those big frolicky dresses and stuff, right? But they're still speaking very contemporary because it's supposed to be like uh our version of socialites. Okay. Right. And that's like kind of the gimmick for this show. Another period. Yeah. I think uh, there was like a Josh Whedon um, film version of Much Ado About Nothing that came out uh, within like the like, past 10 years. And the thing that they did was that they kept the, the Shakespeare uh, dialogue, but they said it in like with vocal flair and stuff like that. So it's like, ugh. Oh, it me doth think the lady protests too much. You know, like, like they yeah, changed like it like the that. Vocal fry. I yeah. like that. I Which is like the, really yeah. interesting, you know. Yeah. But I, I don't think that's what they're going for here. I don't know. I feel like they just kind of I don't feel like there's an artistic decision that they're gonna be like, we're gonna make everything really contemporary and even though it's in the forties. I don't think that's what's going on. You I think, think everyone else is believable, uh -huh. but a couple of characters aren't, and they need to improve on that. And I don't know why they didn't you know, pay more attention to it. Yeah. Um, probably, well, Abby Jacobson did create the show and she is the lead actress. And I'm sure she was just like, well, I'm doing whatever I want to do. Yeah. I guess she, no shade, no shade. Abby, Hepburn. if I were given my own show, I would be doing the same thing. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not a critique. It's just an observation. I just want to point that out. I also think maybe I'm not the best audience since I, I have seen many films from this time period that, you know, I'm going to be more critical. So, right. All right. But I mean, it I didn't guess, bother me, but I also at the same time though, I was more enthralled by Maxine's storyline to be quite honest though. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, clans. I love clans so much. Oh, she was, she's so good. And just how does her storyline co cross over with like the main storyline though? Not yet. So what happens That's, is that, uh, it might that be in season one. two. That was my big complaint about the season because, like, her storyline felt so removed from the rest of the series. Yeah. Where I was just like, if I had to pick which series I would rather watch, it might have been Maxine's story, right? Yeah. So the crossover would be that Max and Carson actually form a, like a friendship, and they right. and they like meet up nightly and they throw pitches and they chat and stuff and oh, and max okay. gets right, you know fine. pissed off at carson because of her privilege and whatnot but like rightfully that's so. about it rightfully so now that was another thing where i was like you know none of these girls have any flaws like not one of them is racist one of them would have been racist sure like, no you're right i think probably 
definitely the Hispanics would have definitely been racist. Yeah, or people would have been racist to them too. It's like and why is true, yeah. racism between these women? Like, why are these women all so progressive? I, I just white passing. Like, the only one who isn't is Shirley, but it's only played to comedic, uh, like effect, right? And at mm-hmm. one point, like when she finds out that people are gay, you know, she's like, "Oh my god, it's contagious!" And she like kisses one of them, and she freaks out about it. Shirley um, would have definitely been racist, Ed. Yeah, but like again, only played to comedic effect. Like that actually one statistically speaking in the 1940s probably one or more of them would have been way highly more. racist way more <laughs> way more <laughs> so it's like i don't buy that not only is carson like the like the coach and like accepting of secretly accepting him for lesbianism and pushing everyone to the gay bar to like open up their <laughs> boundaries but she's also like not racist and hanging out with this this like woman throwing pitches at night i'm like no give her a flaw make your yeah. characters more believable in their time frame by actually giving them something that the audience might not like about them well i mean i don't know i devil's advocate here i think if you're trying to build a fantasy at a certain point it's just like if they want to focus maybe their focus here is the queer storytelling not necessarily the racism. Like, sure, the racism plays a role on one of the storylines, but, like, it's not the overall thing. So, like, I mean, I'm just they saying. could add it in and not have it be the focus, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're. I know what their concern is, that nobody would like the character, you know? But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, I don't think we should... I think we need to portray people honestly and for who people really are, which is flawed. And, like, people in the 40s, you know, it was more common for them to think this way. And that's just what it was, you know. They weren't as progressive as we're portraying them to be. So, right. or at least they were, as long as it was in their like, you know, little white bubble. Yeah. Um. So whatever. So now I have a question for you. Yeah. Since you actually finished this show, maybe that's your answer. But I know oh, we're trying to keep away. You know what? Fuck it. We're going back to the question. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think a league of their own needed this reimagining? Yeah, so before I watched it, I was like, no, this didn't need it. And it's like so crazy. It's kind of like with West Side Story where it's like, oh, I enjoyed this movie so much. Like, you don't need to remake it. And then when they do do it, you're like, wow, I never really realized how flawed the initial was and how it kind of did need this update or a new perspective to it. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of makes you feel like stupid <laughs> for not realizing <laughs> the inherent problems with the original piece. It's like, yeah, wow, there is no diversity in the first League of Their Own. Wow, everyone's straight. And like white people just like exist in a world with no black people and no Spanish people. Also, there's like no people, you know, from Asia anywhere in any of right. these properties, yeah. you know. So well, um, actually, I was just reading uh, an interesting article about how, you know, Muslim people make up 25% of the world population and they make up 1% of media representation. Yeah, seriously. How fucked is that? It is I don't so even know I don't even know what Asian uh population to representation is. Yeah, and there's so many parts of Asia too. Like what about the East Asian or like the South Asian people, you know, where mm-hmm. we get more of like people from India or Pakistan or So it's just like I guess Hollywood feels like, you know what, you had everything everywhere all at once. That's it. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> It, they're taking their baby steps but i mean it, this just feels more i mean it almost feels like too good to be true and it's like wow did they have this many lesbians on one team but maybe they did um i'm inclined s- to believe maybe based on stereotypes of <laughs> women in sports i you think know, so stereotypes <laughs> you know what they say about them oh okay yeah so <laughs> 
There's always a morsel of truth to the. <laughs> but um, I mean, that's for me. It's just like I I actually did enjoy it, and it's also like, man, I just don't have enough, you know, lesbian content. So they are increasing in numbers, but you know, it's just like, wow, I I kind of need to watch this whole show because <laughs> what else do I have? I mean, so. yeah, I mean, in terms of like lesbian programming, it's a lot less than yeah. gay programming. Well, true, and also again. Like for the fifth time I'm going to say in the show, I watch a lot of 1940s and 50s content, but I read into those movies. Like I was watching Gentlemen Prefer Blonde the other Blondes the other day with uh, Jane Russell, Marilyn Monroe, and I read into that movie that they're lesbian lovers, right? So it's actually nice to see a movie or something that takes place, a TV show that takes place in the 40s where it's confirmed that there were lesbians because mm-hmm. I always have to read into it. So mm-hmm. that's nice for me. What about you? Now you watch them reverse yeah so I mean, how how was kind that of. kind um, of it was fine right because i had seen bits and pieces of the original one right i just never saw it in its entirety i had an idea of the plot like i didn't know up until just rewatching it that they were sisters for example. <laughs> like i thought they were just rivals on the tv oh wow okay <laughs> uh um so that that changed my read of the film a little bit. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I love the diversity of stuff. And I was just kind of, uh, when I was watching the the new one, like, I just felt like it's just like, oh, it's 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 fine. It's it's cute. And I think, I don't know, it made me prefer the, the TV show only for its like inclusivity. Which I don't know if that should be a reason alone for me to prefer a show, but mm-hmm. it was for me. A little Look, bit. I still love the original film, and I'll always love the original film. This doesn't—it's not like points deducted now for the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Kit is the worst. You know, Madonna's whole like sex obsessed uh, all the way in May is a little redundant after a while, but it's a fucking great movie. And at the end of the day, like it did not need this remake, but you know, from my particular you know viewpoint and just like me again like being someone who reads into things and stuff so you know like i do really appreciate the diversity you know Mm -hmm. and i think yeah i would agree with you in that sense where it's like i think it's mainly because it's like i the inclusivity is something that i can relate to right you know it feels more accessible to me or something that i can just like be like oh wow now this is something that it speaks deeper to me in a relatable manner and, and whatnot. And that alone, is it the best show? No. You know, like, whatever. Watch it or don't. But, like, it's just those little things, you know, where it's just like, yep, representation matters. And when you get it, it's 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 awesome. So that reminds me, uh, for everyone who, I mean, this is leading the show, but if you guys didn't know, last week I was moderating a discussion. We watched Queer as Folk for the people at Hudson Pride. What's up, guys? If you're listening, we may have gotten some new listeners. If you're listening, hey, thank you for listening now. But uh, one of the questions I posed to the audience there was, us as queer people, is it our duty to support other queer art just because it's queer? So I'm going to ask that to you, I guess, right? Like, as especially, specifically considering how I think few lesbian programs there are like do you feel as a lesbian you have to watch this and like in order for more lesbian content to come out 
Yeah, no, good question. I actually think my answer to that would be more leaning to no because it has to exist for a purpose. Mm. I don't like things that exist just to exist and I do not want things to exist to pander to me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that this show is pandering to the queer community. I actually think that this is a show that's like, hey, we've all seen this movie for 30 years and we're all asking ourselves the same question. (laughs) You know, where's everybody else? And we've talked to people who existed and we want to actually give this viewpoint. Um, So I support it because of what it actually does in that way. But, you know, maybe other things like, you know, Queer as Folk, which is a show that I kind of just watched the first episode and I didn't really enjoy the new one. And I don't know if I could, like, maybe I have to go back and hear it from a different perspective. But, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to support that show just because it's it's queer representation. There's Now we have so much more queer representation yeah. and then done better, you know? Yeah. And, like, was this actually, you know, uh, did it... Why does it exist? What does it provide to us, you know? Like, if it's also just pure bad, then we don't need it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm leaning more to no, actually. Okay. Like, I don't think that's how I feel about politics as well. I don't want a woman in the office just to have a woman in the office. Like, if she's a bad woman, I don't want her in the office. That's true. So, I mean, yeah. But point is, is that so I'm not that type of person who's just like, hey, you know, as long as it's this, I'll take anything, even if it's mm. not good for us. Okay. Um, now, I haven't come across a piece of media that I would say this is a good for the queer community uh, as of yet. Or if I have, I can't think of one. Um, but... I think this is good for us. So I do in this uh, term like it. Now, what about you? What's your answer to that question? What was my answer to that question? I hope it hasn't changed since since last week. Uh, Indifferent. I think for me, I had to enjoy the media. I had to enjoy something about it, right? For me to... I'm not going to blindly support queer media just for the sake of supporting queer media so a great example would be the show on netflix that came out uncoupled where it's written by the guy who did sex in the city um mm. what's his name mm-hmm. uh i forgot the name escapes me uh, but, michael you know, patrick did... king no no the original creator darren the who also... yes yes uh so he has a new netflix show starring neil patrick harris it focuses around uh gay man of a certain age dealing with a breakup and kind of like rebuilding his life after a breakup. Uh, show very, very middling is what I would say, where it's not like a great show, but I think I I was entertained still. Like I will admit, it's like, no, it's not a good show, but it's still, I was entertained by it. And bonus, it was telling stories of a part of the gay community that we don't get that many stories of, which is men of a certain age. Now mm. they're privileged men. Sure. But I think in the gay community, we have this ageism thing where like after the age of like 40, you're like a geriatric, you know? What yeah. I mean? Yeah. So I wasn't necessarily supporting that movie just for the sake of supporting uh, that movie, that show for the sake of supporting it. I actually genuinely enjoyed it. And I will always say that it's like same thing with queer as folk. I don't think it was... I actually don't think it was a good show. I found it thoroughly enjoyable, though. Mm. And it's a good thing I did because I think overall, in terms of, like, the big steps it took for queer representation, it's a bonus for me. It's just like, okay, great. At least least it also did that, you know? Yeah. 
So maybe the Hudson Pride Center would want to watch a League of Their Own, and we can do another uh, discussion because oh, you be should fun. pitch it. Yeah, like- yeah, that would be fun. I no. might though show like the episode where we meet Bert, um, because I think that would be interesting too. Okay. You know, not just the first one, um, but mm-hmm. maybe they're listening. Hey guys, hey. <laughs> but if you're still listening, this is a great time for you to let your voice be heard and to reach out to us. Ways you can reach out are on Instagram at Remakes Reboots Revivals, uh, at Twitter at Remakes Podcast. Uh, our Gmail is Remakes Reboots Revivals at gmail.com. We're on YouTube and Facebook. Just search for Remakes Reboots Revivals. Um, leave us a review or rate us on any of your listening platforms. But if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you write a little review, that would be, I mean, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to read it and, and just hear from you guys. And another way we can hear from you is if you call into our voicemail service. And if we accrue enough of these, we will play it on an episode. And that number that you can call is... 862-248-2326. That's 862-248-2326. I feel like if you listen to this episode, you probably have tons of opinions that you want to share with us. So share (laughs) them because come on, we want to hear them. Next week is the perfect opportunity for you to also let us know because we're talking about the new Disney Plus Pinocchio. Is that already fun. next week? That's already next week. It's wow. play, I think it's uh, starting tomorrow. Wow. Uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday, September 7th. So, so I think when it comes out. 8th, yeah. And uh, if he's listening, happy 40th birthday to my brother-in-law, Jose. Happy birthday. Yeah. But until next time, stay, stay an original. original.